in between. SchwangunkJournal.com And from listeners like you. This is Radio Catskill, WJFF Jeffersonville, W233AH Monticello, Public Radio for the Catskills, Northeast Pennsylvania. Coming up, it's the local edition. I'm Jason Tuga, host of The Mixtape. Every Friday night, it's my goal to bring WJFF listeners great music. Music from all over the world. Stuff that's been lost in the archives and needs to be heard. Classics you already knew you loved. And new stuff from established and emerging artists. All right here on The Mixtape, WJFF Radio Catskill. Friday night at 7 on Radio Catskill. Welcome to the local edition news and information keeping you connected in the Catskills in Northeast Pennsylvania. I'm your host, Jason Dolt. Coming up on the program, we check in with the Catskill Fly Fishing Center and Museum. They have a new director. So, that's something to talk about. Also, we'll continue our series checking in with Wayne County about services in Wayne County. Dave Hartung joins us next live. But first, let's uh, start off with some news out of Albany. And if you listened to uh, last night's show and even the headlines that we had uh, yesterday, last night we were talking to the League of Women Voters, part of the Let New York Vote Coalition, and they are advocating. They are saying the New York State budget, which is due on April 1st, should have $160 million plus more in funding for elections and access to voting places, voters' rights in New York State. This is what's going on during March in New York State because, again, Governor Kathy Hochul, the New York State Legislature, they're trying to come to agreements as to what will actually go into this budget. So everybody's looking for clues as to whether or not their issues, their projects will get funded, if they will get addressed the way they would like to see. This is what's happening in Albany right now. And some recent off-the-cuff comments by Governor Kathy Hochul on whether she might support a tenant's rights measure known as the good cause eviction law caused some stir among advocates and landlords. But a spokeswoman for the governor says don't read too much into it. Senior Albany correspondent Karen DeWitt has more. Governor Hochul has proposed in her budget an ambitious housing plan. It would launch the building of up to 800,000 new homes over the next few years. The Housing Committee chairs in the Senate and the Assembly say they'd like to see the good cause eviction legislation be part of that housing package. The measure would require landlords to justify rent increases of greater than 3% and would give tenants the power to challenge evictions that they believe are arbitrary, retaliatory, or discriminatory. Hochul has been noncommittal about the proposal, but at an event in Rochester on Tuesday where she was listing steps she wants to take to increase affordable housing in New York, she seemed to tell an audience member that she is considering the idea. Housing for sure, which is why we have a very aggressive housing plan on the books. 
It's on our list, too. The questioner was hard to hear, and Hochul's press secretary, Hazel Crampton-Hayes, says the governor did not fully catch the question. Crampton-Hayes says the governor's position has not changed and that the good cause eviction measure is not part of her housing plan. But she says the governor is open to talking to the legislature about any topic. Tenants' rights advocates say they'll keep pushing, but landlords' groups say the measure would be an unfair burden to them and would work against Hochul's goal of increasing the number of available homes to rent. Matt Druin is a landlord in Rochester. He owns several rental units for low-income people and is a member of the Rochester Housing Coalition, made up of private owners, property managers, and developers. He says the measure reflects a disconnect between the lives of the tenants and the realities of the cost of owning and maintaining affordable housing. He says the requirement that landlords must justify a rent increase of more than 3% would be de facto rent control and could lead to more substandard housing and landlords leaving the business altogether. Where this has deleterious effects is on housing choices for low-income people, because I've already seen it post-pandemic, is that responsible housing providers that have provided naturally occurring affordable housing are leaving the space. They're dumping their properties. And now out of state and out of country, um, investors are buying up these properties. And he says sometimes there are just unruly tenants that are disruptive to other tenants in a building and a landlord needs to evict them or decide not to renew their lease. He says good cause evictions would limit that. Druin says any new measures to protect tenants also need to take into account the role landlords play in providing low-income housing and the financial risks involved. He says he would support a measure that also helps landlords deal with tenants who don't pay back rent or damage a unit. Low-income housing needs to be de-risked for uh, providers of uh, housing for low-income people, meaning if they do their job, and they do their job to the specification of whatever we set out to be, um, as a, you know, from a policy standpoint, that they should be guaranteed to be paid. Droon says he believes that access to decent housing is a human right, but he says the state's affordable housing system is broken and approving the good cause eviction measure won't fix it. In Albany, I'm Karen DeWitt. Thank you to New York State Public Radio for that report. Thank you for listening. This is a local edition. It's time for our first guest. Following the property reassessment in Wayne County last year, many folks were asking in Wayne County, what do my taxes pay for? So we're continuing our series that answers that question, looking at how Human Services Agency, the Human Services Agency works to support, serve, protect Wayne County's most vulnerable citizens. Joining us now live to walk us through some of the services available is Dave Hartung, uh, Integrated Services Specialist at the Wayne County Human Services Agency. Welcome back to the show, Dave. Hey, thank you for having me. So um, so I, I realize you have so many uh, so many services available. We're actually, uh, we're actually going to talk, uh, about some of them this week and we'll continue talking to you next week about some more of them. But I guess let's, let's start off by talking about the children and youth services. What's that? Uh, children and youth services is an agency, um, that, uh, protects child welfare. And so they, um, investigate allegations of abuse and neglect, uh, for the children in Wayne County. And so they, um, essentially allegations come in, uh, phone calls are made, um, and it could be from, 
mandated reporters that are in the community. So that could be teachers or other uh, or daycares or people that work with children um, in that sort of caregiving capacity. Or it could also be from friends, neighbors or relatives that notice um, or have or suspect uh, abuse or neglect may be going on with uh, with a child. Is there any ad- advice you have for uh, how people should engage with this service or under what circumstances? Um, sure. So, again, it's, um, you know, if, if you have uh, concerns that, that a child that you know of is, is being abused or neglected, um, <clears throat> they can call into the office and, um, and then, you know, a screener there will uh, go through you know, and ask you a series of questions, you know, to gain more information. And, um, and then, you know, usually then an, an intake worker is assigned to go out to the home and investigate the situation and see, um, you know, try to, try to determine what is really going on. And then from there, um, they can see if it's, uh, you know, if the allegation has merit or if there is maybe something that, um, Maybe there is something going on, but it's something that's, uh, you know, the family just needs a little bit of help with, and the caseworkers can help uh, point them in the right direction or connect them to the resources that then they can get over that uh, difficult situation that they're in. Um, And other times, if it's more serious abuse or neglect, then a case may have to be opened and, um, you know, and then it may have to go before the court and, and it becomes more serious. Um, which could eventually even lead to uh, the office having to take custody of the child. But that, you know, would be under the the more dire circumstances. Um, and that would be at the order of the judge in the court. And then um, there's there's some youth issues that the county can help deal with that aren't like those issues at all. And some of them are covered by the Office of B, Be- and this is a long name, the Office of the Behavioral and Developmental Programs and Early Intervention and Autism uh, so, so what's, what sort of things does that work on? Um, sure. So as you, um, you know, as the name of the office indicates, there's a lot going on there and, um, and it does cover, um, residents of Wayne County from, you know, birth up until, um, you know, in the case of, uh, behavioral health and developmental programs, um, all the way up through adulthood, um, because, uh, mental health and um, intellectual and developmental disabilities oftentimes will stay with um, people through their adult lives. So, um, so case management is offered um, throughout uh, the course of the life there. And well, for early intervention is just as it suggests. An early intervention is from birth to age five, and uh, is there to help support and provide services for any children that have. Uh, developmental delays or disabilities. And one of the tools there that they, um, or one of the uh, strategies that they implore is to, to basically offer assessments and screenings so that, um, again, it's similar that if you have concerns, you know, if you're a parent um, and you have concerns, or sometimes if you're a daycare, maybe you could voice the concern to the parent that you see Maybe there's certain, um, the child seems delayed a little bit, or there's something that they're not picking up on. Um, it could be physical, it could be speech. Um, you know, there are a number of different things, but then you might think about giving a call, having a referral made to um, early intervention, and then they can 
they can um, come out and assess the child and, and make a determination as to, hey, maybe they could use um, physical therapy, speech therapy, you know, a number of different services that could help, uh, you know, could help with any delays or get them kind of up to where they are, uh, their developmental milestones. Um, the Office of Behavioral Health provides case management services. Um, and so case management essentially is, um, you know, the caseworker will, uh, will meet with the consumer and, assess, again, assess what their needs are. And from there, put them, um, you know, get them in touch with or, or enroll them in services or uh, resources that they need in order to stabilize uh, their mental health. And um, the, we also offer a couple of other programs in, um, besides case management through our behavioral health. Uh, the psych rehab program uh, works with adults um, on a, um, they, uh, it's a program that they are enrolled in and which helps them to work through uh, a number of different mental health conditions. And, um, and it also provides them a place that they can go and check in, um, on a regular basis. And, and they also assist with getting them, um, you know, making sure that they stay involved with now patient therapy and medication management. Um, and through there, we also have the, uh, drop-in center, which is run by consumers of the, um, psych rehab program, and that gives them an opportunity to go in and meet with their peers in, uh, at, the, at the psych rehab program. And there are, um, we also have a transitional living arrangement, uh, transitional living apartment that is for um, consumers who are transitioning out of the Clark Summit State Hospital or the state hospital system, and they are trying to then... Um, Reacclimate back into uh, back into society, essentially. So they're trying to overcome whatever mental health issues led them to being hospitalized. Right. And uh, the the Office of Developmental Programs uh, provides supports coordination, and that's um, they help to coordinate services for anybody um, that uh, that has any intellectual or developmental disabilities. So whatever services that are available in our county, and sometimes outside of the county, they can make referrals um, so that they can uh, access those services. All right. And we've, we've only got a couple minutes left. We still have a couple of uh, uh, initiatives to talk about. Uh, one that we've talked a lot about on the local edition over the past couple of years is the Area Agency on Aging. And uh, that's helping with some of our older citizens, right? Absolutely. Um, so the Area Agency on Aging has many different services as well. Some services to help uh, keep seniors in their homes. Um, there's a number of, um, of ways that we do that, and it depends upon what they qualify for, but uh, it could be anything from helping them to get the um, equipment needed to help navigate their homes, um, you know, as they, as they age and whatever, uh, whatever that might be necessary, um, you know, with railings or, or ramps. And then there's also uh, some would qualify for in-home nursing care, um, in-home meals are something that they could also, they might qualify for. 
Our Area Agency on Aging also runs senior centers at several different locations in the county. Um, we have a senior center in Hawley, in Hamlin, in Honesdale, and also in Northern Wayne, in Lakewood. Um, right. And then people yeah. can find out about the Area Agency on the Aging through the county website, right? Absolutely. WayneCountyPA.gov. And finally, real quick, we want to talk about uh, the Drug and Alcohol Commission. And I think I got an idea of what they cover. Uh, What do you want folks to know? Uh, Right. So Drug and Alcohol Commission, anybody that you know, um, you know, and uh, that feels like they might have an issue with drugs or alcohol if they have um, addiction, that there are several programs. They provide assessments. Um, at the office here, they also provide referrals to get them uh, medical assisted treatment if they are suffering from opioid or heroin addiction. Uh, they also provide prevention tools as well. They have a prevention team that goes out into the local school districts and they, um, they have evidence based education uh, that they provide to um, I, just about all of our area school districts. Sorry, I blanked on that for a second, but right. um, but they uh, they do. They go out into um, into the schools in sort of like a guidance class setting and uh, talk about the importance of uh, steering clear of drugs and alcohol. Excellent. Well, I want to thank you for going over all this. Our, our time is up, and you've also got. Uh, under your auspices, auspices, the uh, the food pantry, uh, transportation, dietary, and housing. But I guess what we're going to have to do to get to all that is have you back next week and maybe talk about some of those things. How about that? Yeah, there's too much for one show. There you go. All right. So I want to thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us. And again, all the information related to what uh, Dave is talking about here is at the Wayne County website, waynecountypa.gov. We've been talking to Dave Harding, Integrated Services Specialist for Wayne County. Dave, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Have a good evening. Well, we're going to take a quick break when we come back. Uh, the Catskill Fly Fishing Center. You're listening to The Local Edition, winner of two Excellence in Broadcasting Awards from the New York State Broadcasters Association. Radio Catskill. Listen local. Hi, I'm Mimi Bradley, Radio Catskill's Development Manager. Did you know that you are our largest and most reliable source of funding? It's true, and there are many ways you can support us. Include Radio Catskill in your will. Make a gift of stock. Set up a charitable annuity or trust. Make an IRA charitable distribution. Make a donation in memory or in honor of a loved one. I can give you all the details. Call me on 845-482-4141 or email mimi at wjffradio.org. While engaged media consumers fret over who said what on Twitter or the latest Fox hosts' outrages, is anyone paying close attention to the radio waves? You have to listen to it live in order to capture what's being said. And so it just operates out of sight. Nobody pays any attention and it has so much power. This week, we're listening to talk radio. Don't miss On the Media from WNYC. 
Back to the local edition news and information keeping you connected in the Catskills in Northeast Pennsylvania. Catskill Fly Fishing Center and Museum is a nonprofit organization committed to upholding the legacy of fly fishing in the Catskills region. And at the Catskill Fly Fishing Center and Museum, renowned fly fishing experts and nature enthusiasts of all backgrounds, including a former U.S. president, come together to foster engagement and learning opportunities. And joining us today on the phone, is Ali Abate, the executive director of the CFFCM, to share what exciting things are happening at the fly fishing season this season. Ali, thank you so much for joining us. Sure, thank you for having me. So, um, yeah, let's let's start off. I mean, here we are. It's March 9th. Mm-hmm. And anybody that's spent uh, an amount of time in Livingston Manor, Roscoe areas know that April 1st is the day it all goes down. The weather's starting to get warmer. What exciting things are happening uh, in the fly fishing scene this season? Sure. Yeah. So we're getting really excited for opening day and opening weekend, the official kickoff to the fishing season. Um, and it's just kind of fortuitous that April 1st happens to fall on a Saturday this year. Um, so we're going to be part of the Roscoe Chambers opening day or opening weekend, I should say, series of events. Um, they have a lot of great things going on in Roscoe and we're going to be, you know, just down the road in Livingston Manor, also offering some activities on particularly on Saturday, April 1st, so that folks will ideally go to the first cast at Junction Pool over in Roscoe. And then come over to the museum a little bit later to uh, spend some time here on our grounds. We've got 50 acres of beautiful property. Hopefully we get nice weather that day that folks can stroll around and enjoy. We'll also be serving soup um, via Agnes Van Putt is going to be offering soup, which we've done for many, many years. We're so excited to have her uh, coming back to do that again so folks can warm up if it is a chilly day, which it might be in April. Right, right. <laughs> um, and then we're also planning to have uh, a guest fly tire in the museum that day. So that if you stroll through to see our exhibits, there'll also be someone in there tying and you'll be able to see that and kind of get a sense of what fly tying is all about, the history, the art, um, and just really seeing it up close and getting to ask questions, which is always fun and interesting. Um, and we're also putting together a in-house made coloring sheet of, of the bee mock, the two-headed trout that to kind of bring that legend to life. And hopefully get some kids, families, and adults, if they want to, uh, to do a little, you know, just coloring and creativity and kind of have fun with that story. So the listener is probably tired of hearing this, but you may not have. So I'll just tell you quickly. <laughs> I, I grew up in Roscoe. I grew up, you know, right there on Rockland Road, right next to the, the streams that, that run into the mm-hmm. Beaver Kill. And, um, you know, I remember our... Uh, earth science class. It was a small class yeah. taking a break one day and walking down, uh, to meet, uh, President Clinton's brother, Roger Clinton was on mm-hmm. hand for opening day. We just went down and said hi to him. And then when I yeah. was six years old, about five or six, uh, President Jimmy Carter came, uh, and actually fished in the waters, came to Roscoe, uh, came to the fly yeah. fishing center. What can you tell us about his time here, especially now as, as so many Americans, uh, our thoughts are with him as he is in hospice care? Sure, sure. So, yeah, I mean, I'm very new to the center. So this is a story that I've learned about just in my time being here. But I mean, I think his connection to this area and particularly to the center and to fly fishing more generally is really special and, and kind of amazing. I think it really connects to 
who he was as a person, as a president, as someone who was very engaged in environmentalism and and really having a, a strong focus and connection to that. Um, and my understanding of the time that he was here is that it was really pretty special for a lot of people because I think he was engaging pretty closely with our streams, with our rivers, with some of our guides and, and kind of famous anglers right here in this area and having an opportunity to fish. And, and I think from what I understand as far as some of the quotes and stories that I've read about that visit, which I believe is in 1984, um, that he really saw this place as the mecca of American fly fishing, which is certainly what we think of it as here at the Fly Fishing Center. But, you know, I think it's something that he really had a connection and an understanding to um, or about as well. Um, so it was a really special time for us as a sort of a young burgeoning organization that was trying to gain funds and really develop and establish ourselves as a place and a site and a cultural center. Um, and so that visit was really leveraged in that way to do some fundraising around building the bridge across the Willowy Mock Creek to our current site and helping to establish us. So it's, it's really kind of a part of our origin story as a center that is here, you know, to this day right here in the Catskills. Absolutely. You know, you mentioned you're, you are new to the organization. How how long have you been at the Fly Fishing Center? Yeah, I am. I am. I still think of myself as very brand new because I haven't even reached the one year mark yet. I started in mid July 2022, so I think we're just about to approach eight months. So I'm still very fresh in my in my freshman year, my first season, so to speak. This will be my first opening day as the executive director, and and in general, just because I'm kind of new to the area. And also new to angling. So all of this is something that I'm kind of along for the the ride of learning about as we're starting to introduce more people to our work and what we do and, and really hoping to engage the community in ways we haven't in the past. And so it's really exciting to to take that on and to be in that role. It's also interesting, I think, for us, you know, to have somebody who's as energized as you seem to be about all of this and not really necessarily having a, a background uh, as, a, as a sportsman or an angler or with fly tying or trout or any that, that you're bringing fresh eyes to this. Uh, we've only got a few minutes left, but I mean, what can you, what can you tell me about some of the more surprising or interesting things that, that you yourself have learned about this whole new area for you? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think to sum it up, it's just been kind of a really fascinating journey in, in, and being surprised all the time about what I really, I think I'm just learning more things all the time about the sport, the heritage, the tradition, the arts and culture behind it, which is truly massive. I mean, when you look to just the incredible amount of skill that's involved in cracking a cane rod or tying a fly or some of the like you know, writing and artwork that's been inspired around it. Um, so that part has been really interesting because I just had no idea the depth of some of that. And then I think the way that it's also very accessible to people and kind of getting folks to spend some time outdoors, the connection to science and nature, which I think is something that everyone can appreciate if they, if they have that opportunity to be connected to it. So I just see it as something that really can be um picked up by lots of people if given the opportunity to do so. So that's something that I'm excited to do is kind of make that connection between us and ideally as many people as possible. You know, if, if people want more information uh, about the fly fishing center and museum, uh, where it is physically, where it is online, uh, where, where should they look? Sure. So our website is, 
cffcm.com, Catskill Fly Fishing Center Museum.com. So that's got a lot of information about our history, our mission, our upcoming events, ways to donate, ways to become a member and help support us. Um, we're also on Facebook and Instagram very actively and are, are engaging more and more in that way. Um, and phone calls are always welcome, too. We can happily answer questions for folks. There's almost always someone here in our office, but our official open hours are Friday through Monday, 10 a.m. to 4 p.m., and that's to visit both the gift shop and the Welcome Center, but obviously also the museum as well. And then our grounds are open every day. We have trails that are accessible and open to everyone if you want to come and walk our campus, which is really, really beautiful along the stream and through the forest area that's around here. Well, Ali, I apologize that our time is so short tonight and we have so much more that we could talk about. I think especially with, uh, you know, opening day coming up on the first, we should probably talk again before too long. But I want to thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us tonight. Certainly, of course. Thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure. And again, we've been talking to Ali Abadi, Executive Director, Catskill Fly Fishing Center and Museum located in Livingston Manor. It's right on the stream, so you can see what it's like to go fly fishing. Well, that's going to do it for the local edition tonight. I just want to let you know that we are experiencing periodic dropouts, and our signal goes silent for a few seconds. It does come back. Uh, this is due to a technical issue up at our transmitter site. Uh, we apologize for the interruptions. We do have our engineering team uh, working on it. I want to let you know this is just affecting our FM signal, so apologies to our FM listeners. If you're listening online streaming on uh, your smartphone or on a smart speaker, those streams are not impacted by this. So if you're listening on FM, you have the ability to listen on the stream as well. Uh, those streams will not be affected by those periodic dropouts. So I just wanted to let you know that's what's been going on, and uh, we're, we're going to continue to work on it. I want to thank you so much for listening to us here. This is WJFF Jeffersonville, W233AH Monticello. We're public radio for the Catskills, Northeast Pennsylvania, and we are your public radio station. We're 